Good morning. This is Commission Vice President Toshko Hasegawa convening the regular meeting of May 23rd, 2023. The time is 10.34 a.m. and we're meeting in person today at the Seattle Tacoma International Airport Conference Center as well as virtually via Microsoft Teams. Present with me today are Commissioners Calkins and Mohammed, who are currently gathered in the executive session room awaiting the opening of the public meeting. Commissioners Cho and Fellman are absent and excused from the meeting. We'll now recess into the executive session to discuss one item regarding litigation or potential litigation or legal risk per RCW 42.30.1101I for approximately 30 minutes and we will reconvene in a public session at 12 noon. Thank you. Thank you. We are in recess. Good afternoon. This is Commission Vice President Toshiko Hasegawa reconvening the regular meeting of May 23rd, 2023. The time is 12.02 p.m. We're meeting in person today at SeaTac International Airport Conference Center, as well as virtually via Microsoft Teams. Clerk Hart, please call the roll of all commissioners in attendance. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Here. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Present. Thank you. And Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you. I understand that Commissioner Cho might join us here in just a little bit for proclamations. Very good. Thank you. A few housekeeping items before we begin. For everyone in the meeting, please turn your cell phones to silent. Thank you in advance. For anyone participating on Microsoft Teams, please mute your speakers when not actively speaking or presenting. Thank you very much. Please also keep your cameras off unless you are a member of the commission or executive director participating virtually, or if you're a member of staff in a presentation or reading a proclamation and are actively addressing the commission. Members of the public addressing the commission during public comment may turn on their cameras when their name is called to speak and will turn them back off again at the conclusion of their remarks. For anyone at the dais here today, please turn off the speakers on any computers and silence your devices. Please also remember to address your requests to be recognized to speak through the chair and to wait to speak until you've been recognized. You'll turn your microphones on and off as needed. All the items noted here will ensure a smoother meeting. Thank you so very much. All votes today will be taken by the roll call method, so it is clear for anyone participating virtually how votes are cast. Commissioners will say aye or nay when their name is called. Today we're meeting on the ancestral lands and waters of the Coast Salish peoples with whom we share a commitment to steward these natural resources for future generations. This meeting is being digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the port's website and may be rebroadcasted by King County Television. Please stand or join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The first item of business today is the approval of the agenda. As a reminder, should a commissioner wish to comment for or against an item on the consent agenda, it's not necessary to pull it from consent agenda. Rather, you may offer supporting or opposing comments once the motion to approve um, is on the floor and before the vote is taken. However, if a commissioner wants to ask questions of staff, or wishes to have a dialogue on a consent agenda item, it's appropriate to request the item be pulled for separate discussion. With that, 
Does do any commissioners have any items to pull from the consent agenda today? Does, are there any motions to re rearrange the orders of the day? So the question is now on the approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to approve? So moved. Second. Are there any questions or comments on any items at this time? Commissioner Calkins. I did want to ask that we just take a moment to speak to the item regarding the ILA with Maritime High School, and I'm forgetting the exact number there, but is Tiffany Suya here? Thank you. Um, I, so I think this is a really um, good news item, and I was hoping that Tiffany would be willing to share just maybe a couple of minutes about the gist of, the, of what we're going to authorize if we um, approve the consent agenda. Are you comfortable doing that? Yes. Thanks. I'm sorry, can you repeat what you're requesting? I'm just hoping, if you could just give us like one to two minute summary of the, of the ILA and what it supports and a little sure. bit about Maritime High School, that'd be great. Uh, thank you. So uh, good morning, commissioners. Um, the, this interlocal agreement with Highline Public Schools authorizes $250,000 for the Maritime High School. Um, this continues to uh, this continues our long-standing partnership with the Maritime High School, um, delivering high-quality education and introductions to maritime opportunities to youth um, in the Highline Public School District. The school is currently located in Des Moines. Um, there are about 80 students currently enrolled, with 50% identifying as BIPOC. Maritime High School continues to do very intentional outreach to um, different communities of color and communities throughout the Highline School District. And we're looking forward to another great year partnering with them as they introduce, um, they currently have a, a freshman class and a sophomore class. Um, and as those sophomores matriculate into juniors, they will be spending more time at different work sites and continuing their connections with maritime industry mentors. Thank you so much. And um, it's my intention uh, to encourage the executive director to continue including uh, that amount in the next at least two years of upcoming budgets as one of the ideas behind that initial support was to kind of follow that first class through the full high school year. So uh, we kind of uh, said we we would hope to pursue that um, your funding and then see how things go after that. But you'll into your account now. I can certainly report that uh, having gone on various tours and had a chance to visit the high school, it's a truly inspiring place where kids are. Uh, I mean, I, my the sense that I get coming out of it is both inspiration and also uh, I'm jealous. I wish that I <laughs> got to go to a high school like that. So thank you so much, Tiffany. Thank you, Commissioner Muhammad. Well, I, I just want to thank our my colleague, Ryan Calkins, for your leadership. Uh, you did a lot of work to help establish the school, but I also wanted to take a minute to um, give a huge shout out to the principal, Tremaine Holloway, who will be departing from the high school very shortly and who was recently named the Seattle Propellers Club Public Official of the Year. He's done exceptional work in our region. And my understanding is he's going to go back to Harvard to complete a master's degree. So huge shout out to him and um, huge shout out to you and thank you for the work that you've done to help establish that school and to keep it in the South King County region. He's going for his doctorate. So by the time when he comes <laughs> back, it's going to be Dr. Holloway. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Uh, with no further comments or questions, the motion has been made and seconded. 
Is there any objection to approval of the agenda as presented? Seeing none, the agenda is approved. Commissioners, we do have two special orders of the day to begin our meeting. Clerk Hart, please read the first item into the record, and then we will hear from Interim Deputy Executive Director Stephanie jones Stevens to introduce the item. Thank you. This is agenda item 4A, a proclamation supporting SEA workers' access to quality jobs. Commissioners, one of the most important benefits that the port provides to our region's residents is the creation of quality jobs for workers across a wide variety of backgrounds and skill sets. We have increased our investment in workforce development to ensure that local <coughs> residents have access to these opportunities, and we work closely with our tenants and vendors to promote high standards. This proclamation affirms the Commission's commitment to this mission with a focus on health care benefits as a key criteria to quality jobs. And I would like to uh, introduce uh, V Nguyen uh, from the Commission Office Strategic Advisor uh, to uh, speak more. Welcome, V. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, v Nguyen, Commission Office Staff. Uh, so just a little bit of context on this proclamation. So this is really to tee up. Um, this proclamation was paired with a conversation that we were planning to have today, uh, this, this afternoon. Later on, we're going to have a special meeting. Um, about um, worker retention and quality jobs. And so I will read a, a little bit of the proclamation into the record and um, pass it back to you, uh, Commissioner Hasegawa. So, whereas the Port of Seattle, established in 1911 by the voters of King County, has a mission of promoting economic development and quality of life in the region through trade, commerce, and job creation in an equitable, accountable, and environmentally responsible manner. and Whereas the, the Port of Seattle envisions a vibrant region through job creation, partnering with our neighboring communities, and promoting social responsibility as foundational to fulfilling our mission as a public agency, and whereas the Port, of C the port supports access to quality jobs for every worker who works in port operations, a quality job with a living wage and adequate health care coverage for workers is essential to the, port su the port's success, and whereas the port provides all port employees, temporary and permanent, with robust health care options, and whereas the port funds the SEA Employment Center operated by the nonprofit Port Jobs with the purpose of assisting SEA employers um, connecting with qualified job seekers from the diverse near airport communities, and whereas essential workers at SeaTac or Seattle uh, Tacoma International Airport are a majority black, brown, multiracial, and immigrant workforce, they, f they fill important jobs for airport operations, including work as cleaners, wheelchair agents, baggage handlers, concessionaires, and security personnel. And whereas essential workers were vital during the COVID-19 pandemic to keep to keeping port operations uh, running smoothly, facing the extraordinary challenges of COVID-19, service workers at SEA enabled the critical delivery of essential goods and services. And yet many experienced financial barriers to accessing healthcare to keep themselves and their families healthy and safe. And whereas essential workforce, the essential workforce remains the backbone of SEA operations, often in physical, physically demanding jobs, and continue to serve as frontline work, as a frontline workforce during the, this newest and uncertain phase of post-pandemic COVID-19, with increasingly busy travel at SEA. And whereas a sample of essential workers were surveyed by labor representatives, and one third re report relying on Medicaid to meet their healthcare needs, <coughs> while one third forego healthcare coverage altogether due to inadequate and/or expensive coverage that does not work for them and their families. Whereas a port. 
of, uh, a Port of Seattle study on quality jobs comparing SEA and airports in, in Oakland, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and St. Louis found that airport employers who offer competitive wage and benefits cited positive impacts through reduced employee turnover, reduced employee absenteeism, fewer disciplinary problems, and, and higher morale, and whereas the Port of Seattle recognizes that meaningful access to health care insurance is an important recruitment tool to attract and retain a skilled workforce needed for a, for a safe and secure airport environment. The Port of Seattle and SEA tenants are successful because of our dedicated workforce, ensuring robust commercial activity and operations at our world-class and award-winning airport. Um, now, therefore, the Port of Seattle hereby proclaims support for every SEA worker to have access to a quality job that includes meaningful access to healthcare insurance and urges employers at, at the airport to offer healthcare coverage that meets the needs of the workforce at SEA, um, proclaimed by the Port of Seattle this 23rd day of May. Thank you so much, Strategic Advisor Wynn, for that reading. Um, I would like to note for the record that we've been joined online by Commissioner Cho for the reading of this proclamation. And at this time, I'll entertain comments or questions from commissioners. Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you, V, for reading this proclamation. Um, just so everybody knows, for about the last year, we have been um, engaging regularly with airport employees who reached out to us consistently to help elevate their issues. And um, <clears throat> today we will be organizing a roundtable meeting with both employers, um, employees, and commissioners will be present during that meeting to have a conversation on how to get the employee, um, air, airport um, employers and the employees to kind of facilitate some of those discussions and hopefully get us on the same page so we understand where both sides are coming from. Um, you know, the thing that I uh, appreciate the most about today's proclamation is the port has done what we could under our sort of jurisdiction with our employees, direct port employees. We've looked at our temporary employees, um, permanent employees to ensure that they're having adequate benefits. Um, they have access to uh, health care, both temporary employees and permanent employees do. And um, I believe that that should be extended to everyone who is in this country, um, who works on port facilities, um, comprehensive health care, retirement benefits should be extended to all workers, um, not just those who are working directly for the port, but all across the country. And so um, that is the message that we're sending today with this proclamation. And I just want to thank all of our, uh, our, our staff members who have worked on this proclamation. And I thank all of the constituents and airport employees for the important work that you guys do every day. And thank you for consistently elevating your issue and making sure that as, as commissioners, we know what your priorities are. Thank you for the time. Commissioner Calkins. <coughs> so I, I want to compliment Commissioner Mohammed's uh, both compliment, great. Um, and also compliment. Uh, I want to add to it uh, another aspect of this that I think is really important, which is that this is in the interest of us as an institution and then and the 350 or so businesses that employ people at the airport. There are certainly multiple ways to run successful businesses and organizations, one of which is, uh, I guess, you um, invest little in your employees, keep that expense line as low as possible, churn through people really quickly, um, because they'll move on as soon as they have some better opportunity. Um, but I think that's short-sighted. I think the better 
more successful way in the long term is to invest in your employees, to create a team, to, to benefit from the institutional knowledge that comes from a workforce that wants to stay where they are because they, va they feel valued in, in what they're doing. And the advantage of that accrues to the organization in terms of morale and culture and long-term leadership and uh, being able to uh, discern from a group of employees who respect the leadership um, and, and a, a sense of ownership in the place as well. And I think this proclamation speaks to that model of organizational culture, and it's something that I um, believe is the way we ought to do it at SEA. Well, I'll just say I'd like to thank the stakeholders who came to the table to support the staff and the commission in drafting this proclamation um, to do everything that they can to make sure that we are all educated on the issues as they impact workers and doing everything that we can to make sure that we're raising the bar and promoting quality jobs, not just here at home, but nationwide. And um, I'm so pleased to see this proclamation introduced with that. Is there a motion to approve? So moved. Is there a second? Second. Commissioner Hasegawa, Commissioner Cho is on the line. Oh, Commissioner Cho, welcome. Do you have comments, please? Yes, I'll make them very brief. I apologize for not being there in person. I'm currently in Oslo, Norway on a trade mission with a great group of leaders from our region. But I thought it would be important uh, and crucial for me to at least be there virtually uh, to support uh, this proclamation. Um, one thing that I great that I take great pride in as a commissioner and uh, as a commission is that we lead with our values as a commission, and that's what really this proclamation is about: it is basically putting our values out there as an organization and where we stand on certain issues. And although this particular issue we are addressing is with regards to federal legislation that we don't have too much influence over. I certainly hope that our vote today and the passage of this proclamation will make it very clear how we as a port, as an organization, uh, are on this issue as well as where our values lie. And so I just want to give a quick shout out to V. Wynn as well as Aaron Pritchard and, and SDRU six staffers who've all worked for months to get this language right. Uh, there were many back and forth, and I know that uh, it would have preferred to have been passed sooner, but um, but uh, I truly believe that uh, we are at a place here where um, we have the right language and the right values that we're expressing, and I look forward to voting in favor of it, so thank you. All right, the motion has been made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed? Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Cho? Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Hasegawa? Aye. Thank you. Four ayes and zero nays for this item. This motion passes. Thank you all so very much. <laughs> Clerk Hart? Please read the next item into the record, and we'll then hear from Interim Deputy Executive Director Stephanie Jones-Stevens to introduce the item. Thank you. This is Agenda Item 4B, Proclamation for May 2023 as Asian American Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander. This is AANHPI Heritage Month.
Commissioner, some of our fastest growing racial and ethnic groups in the nation, Asian American and Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander communities represent a multitude of ethnicities, languages, and experiences that enrich America and strengthen our community. During May, we take time to honor, recognize, and celebrate the innumerable contributions, vibrant cultures, and rich heritage of Asian American and Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander communities. We are proud of all of our Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander employees at the port, including our commission president and our vice president. Our home of Asian and Pacific Islanders Employee Resource Group, also known as HAPPY, is hosting several events this month, and details can be found on Compass. Today's proclamation is another wonderful opportunity to celebrate these employees and other AANHPI members of our community. And I would like to introduce Bukta Gesar, Senior Director of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, uh, who is here and also joined today by four uh, other employees. Faye Srinapalatinakun, who is Associate Pro Process Improvement Program Manager in our Office of Strategic Initiatives. Naomi Kalalau, who is Administrative Assistant with AV Project Management Group. Uh, P.E. Kea. Ryan, Administrative Assistant, Engineering Administration, and Andrew Coe, with our indoor, who is an Indoor Navigation Program Manager with our Airport Innovations team. Thank you very much for being here. Bukta. Thank you, Interim Deputy Executive Director Joan Stebbins, and good afternoon, Commissioners. Um, I'm honored to be here today to recognize Asian American and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and proud to work for an organization that honors such moments and creates space to um, understand the contributions of uh, the communities in, uh, for Inking County. The contributions of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander communities are immeasurable in our state, our county, and our city. For generations, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander communities have been central to advancing civil rights um, and equity in the Seattle area. Um, many of us are familiar with the Gang of Four, uh, who during the Civil Rights Movement were a shining example of how a multiracial coalition came together to fight against anti-black racism and advance equity and civil rights for all in our communities. They showed us how to embrace our difference and work together. And as an organization that's come to, uh, to commit to addressing anti-black racism and anti-racism, we left up leaders such as Bob Santos, Alan Tsukuyama, Cindy Dom Domingo as models and examples for, of how we can live these commitments out. Finally, while we take time to celebrate Asian American, Native, and Hawaiian Pacific Islander communities together, I also want to recognize uh, that we are not a monolith community. There are many, many different cultures, traditions, histories, and people and, and classes represented within the acronym of AAPHI. There is a strength in our difference, um, and when we come together and embrace our diversity, we are stronger for it. Um, this is also a historic moment for us as an organization, as we are led by two powerful Asian American commissioners who are paving the way for more Asian American and Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander people and people of color 
to step into leadership role for our organization and our communities. Thank you, Commissioner Cho and Commissioner Hasegawa. With that, I'd like to thank uh, all of you for this moment and to hand it over to our happy employee resource group, Faye, Naomi, Han, Andrew, and Piekea, who actually Faye is joining on Teams and the, re uh, the rest of the uh, ERGs here in person. Thank you. I'm handing it over to you. Go ahead, Faye. Hey, you're still muted. Thank you. Mabuhay, mga kababayan, and maraming salamat for this time. I am a first-generation Filipino-American, and my name is Faye Sipanaka Latinakun. Whereas Asian-American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander Heritage Month is a time to acknowledge and celebrate the innumerable contributions of Asian-Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders in furtherance of our civil society, and whereas the celebration of AANHPI Heritage Month started as an idea of Jeannie Ju, a fourth-generation Chinese-American, and an aide to the U.S. Representative Frank Horton, and whereas in 1978, President Jimmy Carter signed a joint resolution introduced by U.S. Representative Frank Horton and Norman Y. Mineta in the House and a, a companion bill introduced by U.S. Senators Daniel Inouye and Spark Matsunaga in the Senate designating the first 10 days in May as an annual celebration of Asian Pacific Heritage Week. And whereas in 1992, President George H.W. Bush signed a bill designated the month of May as Asian Pacific Heritage Month, honoring two significant events in, the Ameri in American history. The arrival of the first Japanese immigrants in the United States on May 7, 1843, and the completion of the first transcontinental ra railroad on May 10, 1869, where more than 20,000 Chinese workers contributed. And whereas in 2000, the Washington state legislator followed suit by declaring the month of May as Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, while Governor Locke, our first governor of Asian descent, was in office, then in 2022, Governor Jay Inslee pro proclaimed the month of May to be Asian American Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Heritage Month, following the language of the presidential proclamation and... Whereas Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders have lived and worked in Washington State since before its founding and have played a part in the rich cultural heritage of this state. And whereas the population of Asians, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders is the second largest and fastest growing demographic group in Washington at over 949,000 and in King County at approximately 465,000. And whereas Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders are diverse with very distinct cultures and histories, representative of 48 Asian and Pacific Island nations, <laughs> AANHPI Heritage Month is a time to elevate and celebrate the many lived experiences of these communities. And whereas Asian Americans, Native, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islander activism and collaboration for social justice, civil rights and economic opportunities were born from discrimination such as Chinese Exclusion Act and mass incarceration of Japanese Americans during World War II and oppression of Filipino cannery workers. And 
Whereas, during the civil rights era, locally we witnessed the emergence of AANHPI allyship for access, representation, and opportunities. In the early 1960s, Seattle City Council member Wing Luke and Human Rights Commission Chairman Phil Hayasaka worked for access to housing for Asian Americans in Seattle. In the winter of 1971, the Oriental Student Union led by Alan Tsugiyama and Black Panther member Mike Tagawa held a sit-in protest at Seattle Central Community College to demand hiring of Asian administrators. When the King Dome Stadium development plans were announced in 1972, Bob Santos led a protest because of its proximity and perceived negative impacts to the Chinatown International District and secured mitigation funds for the betterment of the community in 1975. And whereas four local activists, Bob Santos, Roberto Maestas, Bernie White Bear, and Larry Gossett, better known as the Gang of Four, worked to unify their respective community in solidarity and together achieved political and policy wins and secured resources for the prosperity of communities of color in Seattle. The legacy of the Gang of Four continues to inspire, and the work and the impact of the women who work side by side with them still continues to advocate for opportunities, resources for their respective communities, and advancing future leaders through mentorship and opportunities. And whereas, Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders are re represented at every level of staffing and leadership at the Port of Seattle. The Employee Resource Group, home for Asian Pacific Islanders, was revived by Faye Sipana Latina Kuhn with the help of Peter Cho in, in 2017 to be a voice for and to educate, promote, and celebrate AANHPI heritage at the Port. And Whereas, as the gateway to Asia and the Pacific, the Port of Seattle celebrates its top nine international trading partners, China, Japan, South Korea, Vietnam, Taiwan, Thailand, Indonesia, Philippines, and Malaysia, via the Northwest Seaport Alliance, a partnership between the Port of Seattle and the Port of Tacoma. And whereas, the Port of Seattle celebrates the achievements of our Port of Seattle Commissioners, President Sam Cho, the first Asian-American and first Korean-American, and Vice President Toshiko Grace Hasegawa, the first Asian-American woman and first Japanese-American woman to serve in leadership in our 111-year history. Now, therefore, the Port of Seattle Commission hereby commemorates May 2023 as Asian-American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander Heritage Month, encourages the continued support of our Port of Seattle Happy ERG commits to building an inclusive and unifying environment for all, and acknowledges the importance of advancing leaders through opportunities. This is proclaimed by the Port of Seattle Commission this 23rd day of May, 2023. Thank you, Faye, Naomi, Pi'ikea, and Andrew for that beautiful reading of this proclamation. I'm now going to turn to my colleagues for comments from the dais, beginning with Commissioner Cho. Thank you so much for the opportunity, and uh, once again, um, really glad that I could at least be here virtually to be in support of this proclamation. What I love about this year's proclamation actually is how it really addresses and acknowledges all of the AAPI leaders uh, that came throughout history, both locally and nationally, and 
the reason I appreciate that is because um, uh, no saying is true when we say that we stand on the shoulders of giants. And today, in today's proclamation, you heard so many of the leaders that came before, for my, before myself and Commissioner Hazegawa. Um, and I, I and I just want to make a quick point that I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, we are today is the first time we've had an API woman chair uh, a home port port of Seattle commission meeting. Um, I, you know, I personally am so honored. Uh, to serve as the first APR president of the Port Commission. But as one of my mentors, Marilyn Strickland, always tells me and reminds me, uh, it's great to be the first, but you should never be the last. Um, and so as we celebrate APR Heritage Month, month, as we celebrate those who came before us, I also hope we take a moment to, to reflect and think about how we can continue to grow the pipeline and make sure that... Um, the Toshiko Hazagawas and the Sam Cho's at the Port of Seattle are not the last, uh, but that we continue to build leaders who can take um, this port to, to new heights uh, beyond our tenure. So I'm excited to support this. Uh, thank you so much to Happy for all you do at the Port of Seattle uh, for making sure that our voice is represented, that the API voice is represented. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's been a tough several years for our community uh, during the pandemic. But um, I must say that I was especially touched when all the ERGs came together in support of both the Black Lives Matter movement and the Asian American community. Um, and so I'm really, really uh, um, pride. I have tremendous pride in all the work that uh, Happy does. And as you all know, I'm, I'm, your biggest, I'm one of your biggest supporters. And uh, continue to uh, uh, be excited for everything that you all would do. So thank you. Mr. Mohammed. Um, well, I just want to thank all of our port employees for bringing this proclamation forward today. This um, proclamation for me exemplifies our commitment to civil rights and empowering all of our communities. Um, and you've heard us, I think all of the commissioners say, for us to um, maintain a strong and competitive position in our global marketplace, it is crucial that every community is acknowledged and uplifted who make this port possible, who contribute to all of the incredible work that this port does. And so um, I recognize that our diverse voices, when they're heard, they're honored and respected. It is truly when we can accomplish great things together. And um, this proclamation um, exemplifies that for me. And to uh, Commission President Cho's point, I really did love the rich historical narrative that was painted. It was almost like a, you're, you're welcome moment, right? Like you take this, go study it and recognize what it is that we have done and that was powerful and um vice president commission president uh vice commission vice president see look commission vice president hasagawa um you laughed when commissioner cho said that today is the first day that a woman of color is um leading the commission and that you have the gavel um, this commission has been around for over 112 years, and it is a historical moment. 
It's a moment where this community should feel really proud. You did that. You do that with us every day, and I'm so proud of you. And there are so many young girls out there who look to you, and um, you're getting teary-eyed. I better stop, too. <laughs> but it is true. There's, there's so many little girls out there today that see moments like this and um, who can then say, I can do it, too. For me to be in the position I am today, it took being able to see someone who looks like me to believe that I could go to college and do the things that I do today. And I know there's so many little girls out there who are looking at you today and thinking, she can do it, I can too. And you should feel so proud of yourself and your community should feel the same way. Thank you all for bringing this proclamation forward. It's, it's a beautiful day and it's, it's a moment for us all to celebrate. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins. I wanted to um, share about two points on this proclamation that I think are really important. The first is the point that Commissioner Muhammad made about this being uh, an incredible summary of some of the history. Maybe we term it the sort of forgotten history or the uh, subjugated history of communities that have been here as long as um, the those of the, whose history really made the sort of headlines. and. Um, I think it's really important to understand that that's our history, and I, I say that as a person of European descent uh, who has always called the Northwest home. Uh, I didn't get to learn big parts of my history as a child because uh, they were relegated. And I think that's part of what we're trying to do here. I think naysayers would say that, that we're, we're trying to divide people through this, um, through categories, and instead what we're trying to do is greater integrate our shared history. And so I love that our proclamations are becoming a, a history lesson for us at these uh, events and that, you know, to whatever extent we have a soapbox to share that, we can use that. The other thing that I really want to emphasize and why I think it's so important we do these right now is because we're in a moment where uh, it, at the root of geopolitical tensions and other things unrelated to individuals, uh, there has been a heightened um, increase in anti-Asian hate in our region. And I know that Commissioner Cho and Commissioner Hasegawa have spoken very um, boldly about this, but I think it's also important to remember that uh, we need to work every day to make this community welcoming. Uh, and it's for folks who've been here 200 years, it's for folks who arrive today on a plane from somewhere and uh, by proclaiming these things, we're saying we are a welcoming place uh, for wherever you're from, and this can be your home too. And so I'm very supportive of this proclamation, and uh, I appreciate everybody who helped to put together the history on it and to read it today. Thank you so much. I might look back on this video and say, we laughed, we cried, <laughs> and it's because I'm filled with so much um, ultimately emotion and love. You can't serve the people if you don't know the people and you can't know the people if you don't love the people. And um, we have, that is exactly why introducing a proclamation is so important. And there's so much in this proclamation that speaks so loudly. Um, I just want to acknowledge my strategic advisor, Erica Chung, 
for the hours of research and drafting that she put into this draft. I want to acknowledge the Office of Equity, Diversity, Inclusion for the thought and the heart that went into the drafting of this proclamation. I want to acknowledge Happy um, for always being a thought partner in holding us accountable and helping us perform um, in a way that is reflective of and representative of your voice and your values. Um, and I want to acknowledge our speakers, Faye, Naomi, Pika, and Andrew, for using your voice here today. Thank you so much um, for this collective effort. You know, um, one thing that this proclamation does is it does acknowledge the terminology. And um, there are two sides to the coin of umbrella terms. Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islanders um, are is a term that came to fruition over time. Um, and it was actually um, through a movement led by Pacific Islander women that advocated that um, the term Pacific was attached to that um, so that there was political voice and solidarity um, for in, in causes, um, in common causes, in common issues impacting the community members. Because so often the Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander and Kofa communities are relegated because they're told they are statistically insignificant. So with that, solidarity was collective power. But the other side of that is that it can also veil some of the nuance in the information about our, who our communities are because we are not a monolith. The way we experience issues is not going to be the same by race as Asian Americans or Native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders or even among ethnicities. So we have to be cognizant of what the differences are between our community members because as Director Gazar so eloquently put, is exactly in acknowledging that diversity that makes us strong and also perform better as a port. Um, I love that this proclamation lifts up and celebrates that spirit of advocacy because it was through collective action that we were able to make progress, that we were able to tear down barriers on every level of government. It even nods to some of the systemic issues in place within port industries that Asian Americans and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders led on to address. And you've heard me say from the dais before that a drop in the pond ripples to the outer edges. The Asian American Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander communities advocacy here at home has effectuated global change. Um, and that has that that acknowledgement in this proclamation um, has um, is is such a powerful testament, um, not just to us, but our inherent connectedness to the broader community. You see the acknowledgement of the Gang of Four with Uncle Bob Santos, Larry Gossett, who was a former King County Council member, with uh, Roberto Maestas and with Bernie White Bear. Let us also name the tremendous women of the Gang of Four who continue to advocate today through Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos, his wife, who is currently the longest serving state legislator in Olympia with 25 years of advocacy and billions of dollars in the public education. Thanks to her tenacity 
tenacious advocacy with Cindy Domingo, the chief of staff of Larry Gossip, but who was there pushing the line to make sure there was fairness for Filipino cannery workers and led on an anti-Marcos movement internationally with Laura White Bear, who stood the, long, the line alongside Bernie White Bear and continues her advocacy today. And Estela Ortega, executive director of El Centro de la Raza, that continues to be a critical institutional partner for the Port of Seattle and making sure that communities are uplifted, empowered, and most importantly, resourced. This programming for this year for ANHPI Heritage Month also makes me so proud because we have coupled this with educational opportunities for the broader workforce um, in understanding not just the civil rights advocacy, where we brought in a panel, where we understood labor and the role of women and, the, and um, a comprehensive look of our local legacy, but also, importantly, coming up later this week, a forum on understanding anti-blackness within the Asian and Pacifica communities, because it does live on. Racism, colorism, and classism, and bias, they're all there. We talked about it in the month of February during Black History Month. We're going to talk about it again in the month of May. So I would like to thank everybody who is going to show up for that um, coming up here, I believe, on uh, uh, Wednesday afternoon online. Um, and um, thank you, Commissioners Cho and Mohammed for the reminder of what the importance is of this moment, that I am the first Asian American woman to preside over a Port of Seattle Commission meeting. Um, assuredly, assuredly, that I will not be the last. Thank you. <laughs> Are there any additional comments from commissioners at this time? <laughs> Hearing no further discussion for this item, is there a motion to approve? So moved. Second. Second. The motion has been moved and seconded. We might surprise you. <laughs> Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Cho? Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Hasegawa? Aye. Thank you. Four ayes and zero nays for this item. The motion passes. Thank you. <laughs> Next on our agenda is the executive director's report. We can start the meeting now. <laughs> Interim Deputy Director Stephanie Jones-Stebbins, you have the floor. Thank you, Commission Vice President Hasegawa. So good afternoon, Commissioners. I'm filling in today for Executive Di Director Metric while he is away on business travel representing the port at the Seattle Chamber Greater Seattle Partners International Leadership Mission along with Commissioner Cho. And we really look forward to hearing from them about key learnings upon their return. And I do have a few quick comments before moving on to, to today's meetings. Uh, first, I want to express appreciation and gratitude uh, about our uh, staff's response, the first responders who handled an incident on our airport drive last week. A vehicle hit several pedestrians on the curbside, including a young child, and our thoughts are with all of them for a speedy recovery. I'm proud to say that a cross-port team responded quickly, professionally, effectively to take care of injured travelers 
to interview the driver and other witnesses to manage roadway congestion and to address damaged infrastructure. Incidents like these are thankfully very rare, but the training and preparedness of our staff really shown through. Safety is a top priority, and we continue to monitor and evaluate all safety enhancements in terms of la last week's incident. Memorial Day. I know many of us look forward to Memorial Day as the unofficial start of the summer season. I also want to take time to pause and reflect on the solemn meaning of this holiday. Observed as a federal holiday since 1971, Memorial Day is a time to remember and honor those in our military who made the ultimate sacrifice in the service of our nation. The port will mark this occasion at an employee event this Thursday at the airport conference center from noon to one. This event is for all port employees, not just veterans and service members. Uh, Heidi Popacock, uh, Popacock, Chalk, I'm sorry. Commissioners, we don't always introduce new employees during a commission meeting, but now retired director of aviation finance and budget, Borgen Anderson was a regular presence during our commission meeting, and I am excited to introduce you to his replacement, Heidi Papachuk. Uh, Heidi, if you could turn your camera on. Thank you so much. Heidi, uh, welcome. Heidi joins the port with over 15 years of progressively responsible experience in county, municipal, and utility finance and legislative analysis. Heidi previously served as the Finance and Administration Section Manager for the King County Wastewater Treatment Division. And as Chief Financial Officer for that division, she directed all financial, accounting, and budgeting functions, overseeing the annual collection of over $500 million in operating revenues, combined operating and capital expenditures of over $400 million, and management of a $3.6 billion debt portfolio. Heidi is a seasoned people leader with a strong commitment to equity, diversity, and inclusion. Please welcome me in welcoming Heidi to the port. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, everyone, commissioners, uh, interim deputy executor Joan Stebbins. It's a pleasure to be here, and I am honored to be here on a day where such impactful and powerful proclamations were presented, as well as the comments of the commissioners on uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and their commitment uh, definitely resonated with me. And I am just so glad that I am here to serve you all and the Port of Seattle community. Thank you so much for the, your time and attention. Thanks again for being here, and welcome to the Port. And lastly, Tomorrow, May 24th, is Aviation Maintenance Technician Day. On this day, we honor the many professional aviation maintenance technicians, also called AMTs, who keep airplanes safe for transport of people and cargo. So every time you step on a plane, every time you buy a ticket, every time you arrive safely, you have an aviation technician to thank. The Port of Seattle created a career pathway program at SEA to support development of aviation maintenance technicians. And we partner with Port Jobs and South Seattle College to fund a fall quarter AMT introductory course at SEA for airport employees and community members with hands-on classes at the college. Graduates are automatically accepted into the 18-month FAA certified program at South Seattle College. Our first introduction to AMT class was in the winter of 2020. Since then, we have steadily increased employment <coughs> and program completion rates over the years. That's quite an accomplishment, given all that's happened between now and then. 
South Seattle College reports that 80 to 90 students complete their certificates yearly. The Boeing Company projects that 610,000 new AMTs will be needed to sustain the global commercial aviation fleet over the next 20 years. This partnership and career pathway helped meet that demand. Please join me in publicly thanking all the aviation maintenance technicians at SEA and other airports across the country. <coughs> So Commissioner Short, summary of today's meeting, we have had two um, very beautiful and meaningful proclamations. And we now look forward to a, a recap of the state legislative session that ended last month. I look forward to sharing with you some of the significant and tangible progress that the staff made on policies that will allow us to do our work and achieve our mission. I want to thank all the commissioners who spent time in Olympia this season getting, uh, helping us with pieces of legislation and getting these over the finish line. Commissioners, that includes my report. Thank you for that report, Stephanie. And commissioners, do you have any questions or comments at this time? Um, I guess I just have one question. Um, Acting Executive Director Joan Stebbins, what's the status of the four-year-old that was struck by the car? My understanding is that she is out of critical condition, ex expected to survive. And um, I believe that the injuries are not uh, will be recoverable. Thank you very much. And that has been on all our minds. Thank you for asking. Okay, um, moving forward to committee reports, I'd like to welcome Strategic Advisor Erica Chung to provide the report. Good afternoon, uh, Vice President Hasegawa and Commissioners. I have three uh, report for you today. Uh, Commissioners Fellowman and Calkins convened the Waterfront and Industrial Lands Committee on May 15. During the meeting, they received a briefing on the City of Seattle's Industrial Lands Zoning, which is under consideration at the Seattle City Council. Commissioners Fellowman and Calkins plan to testify at City Council hearing on May 24. The committee also received an update from the Port's External Relations Office regarding potential future uses of Pier 48 and the Wasca site, which are owned by Washington State Department of Transportation. The legislature took no action on either site during the 2023 uh, legislative session. On May 16th, Commissioners Hasegawa and Fellowman convened the Sustainable Environment and Climate Committee. During the meeting, they received a briefing on Seattle waterfront clean energy strategy that is anticipated towards the end of the year. The strategy offers a roadmap for clean energy infrastructure investments to deploy zero emissions technologies and an increasing energy resilience. The committee also received a briefing on the municipal solid waste to sustainable liquid fuel study and communication strategy. The study with final recommendations are anticipated at the end of June, at which time the report findings will be communicated to Port Commission and King County committees and the public. The Joint Advisory Committee met on May 16th with Commissioners Mohammed and Fellman participating. Uh, JAC discussed the interlocal agreement recommendation from SeaTac manager Carl Cole and Aviation Managing Director Lance Little. A memo of the ILA provisions and financial details will be sent to Commission in support of the discussion to continue with the current terms of the ILA and not open for negotiations. Much of the meeting discussed, uh, discussion centered on North SeaTac Park. The port expressed its support of SeaTac determining its feasibility to acquire any of the property within its current lease with the port. The port shares some of the factors 
due to the federal obligations on the part property that will inform the evaluation by the city. The port and SeaTac are working on joint statement to communicate next steps to the public. This concludes my report. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. Are there any follow-up questions regarding committees, commissioners? Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, moving forward to public comment. Perfect. We are now at the public comment section of our agenda. The Port Commission welcomes public comment as an important part of the public process. Comments are received and considered by the Commission in its deliberations. Before we take public comment, I want to review our rules for in-person and virtual public comment. Each commenter will have two minutes to speak and should stay within that allotted time. Helpfully, a timer will appear on the screen and a buzzer will sound at the end of the two-minute period for each speaker. Speakers must limit remarks to topics related to the conduct of port business. These rules apply to introductory and concluding remarks. All remarks should be addressed to the commission as a body, not to individual commissioners. Disruptions of commission public meetings are prohibited. Disruptions include, but are not limited to the following. Refusal of a speaker to limit remarks to topics related to the conduct of port business, threats or abusive or harassing, harassing behavior and language, obscene language and gestures, refusal of a speaker to comply with the allotted time set for the individual speaker's public comment, leaving the podium or testimony table to physically approach commissioners or staff during one's public comment, provided speakers may offer written materials to the commission clerk, and any behavior that disrupts, disturbs, or otherwise impedes the meeting. Any disruption will result in a speaker's microphone being immediately shut off and a warning or loss of speaking privileges or removal from the meeting, as provided in the Commission's bylaws. Written materials provided to the clerk will be included in today's meeting record. The clerk has a list of those people prepared to speak, and we are taking comments from anyone who's signed up to speak virtually, as well as anyone who's joined us here physically in the chambers. When the clerk calls your name, if you are joining virtually, please unmute yourself. Then please repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of port business. If you're on the Teams meeting and at the same time streaming the meeting on the website, please be sure to mute the website stream to avoid feedback. If you're speaking from the room, please come to the testimony table, repeat your name for the record, following with your stated topic related to the conduct of court, port business. And with that, Clerk Hart, um, please call our first speaker. Thank you, Madam Commission Vice President. Um, we will actually take our virtual commenters first. We only have two. So I'll begin with Nick Jackal. Nick, please go ahead and repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of the port. Absolutely. Good afternoon, Commissioners. My name is Nick Jackal, and I serve as the Director of Community Relations and Organizing at the Downtown Seattle Association, and I am here to speak in support of the cruise industry and their work with the Port of Seattle. As many of you know, DSA is a nonprofit membership organization dedicated to creating and fostering a healthy and vibrant downtown that benefits everyone. Our membership encompasses a diverse community of 1,700 businesses, nonprofits, and downtown residents who share our vision and actively contribute to our mission. We are united in the belief that when it comes, uh, the belief that when downtown thrives, the, in the entire city prospers. Downtown especially thrives when cruise thrives. Our association has seen firsthand how the cruise season has benefited our local economy and community as we work towards revitalizing a vibrant downtown for all. The numbers speak for themselves. In the 2022 cruise season, almost 1.3 million passengers embarked on cruises through the Port of Seattle. 
This year, we expect even more passengers potentially breaking records. As these visitors explore neighborhoods, downtown Seattle shines, becoming more vibrant and welcoming. It is estimated that the cruise industry injects $900 million into our local economy. Each time a ship docks, it represents over $4 million of impact, benefiting our local businesses, including retail stores, museums, restaurants, hospitality establishments, and hotels. Beyond those economic gains, the cruise industry has a lasting impact. Studies show that 60% of cruise passengers returned to visit ports they first uh, experienced during their cruise. This represents a wonderful opportunity for Seattle to make a lasting impression and encourage visitors to explore more of our city's attractions. In conclusion, uh, the cruise industry has profound and diverse benefits for our downtown. It provides substantial revenue and tax dollars, supports local businesses, and enhances the overall experience for office workers, residents, and visitors. As the Downtown Seattle Association, we support and encourage the continued embrace of the cruise industry as it plays a vital role in revitalizing our urban core and underscoring the fact that Seattle is a world-renowned destination. Thank you for the opportunity to share these remarks. Thank you, Nick. Our next speaker is Brad Jones. Brad, please repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of the port. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. My name is Brad Jones, Executive Director of Visit Bellevue. Uh, I believe that far too often it goes understated the incredible impact of the cruise industry on our region and our state's tourism industry. Uh, cruise travel has been a steadfast segment for us all during the prolonged industry recovery period. Uh, several segments like meetings, conventions, and overseas travel have been slow to recover, but cruise travel has provided the needed boost and a bright spot for our business and workforce. This year's cruise season has just begun and uh, passenger volumes are robust. With these 289 cruise ship trips carrying approximately 700,000 travelers, to Alaska and back, uh, this cruise season will support over 900 million in economic activity, over 5,000 jobs and generate 14 and a half million in statewide taxes. Amazingly, every vessel that docks brings in over 4 million to the local uh, economy. I would also like to congratulate the Port of Seattle as one of the most environmentally progressive cruise home ports in North America and let you know how proud we are uh, that the port is working closely with cruise lines to minimize impacts from cruise ship operations. Let's celebrate our shore power strategy and the fact that port, the port joined 10 other organizations in creating the world's first cruise-focused green corridor from the Pacific Northwest to Alaska. Visit Bellevue's destination sales team recently went to Fort Lauderdale to participate in Cruise 360 with the Port of Seattle, Seattle Southside, and Visit Seattle. We are collectively marketing and selling Alaska cruises to our region. On behalf of the industry and Visit Bellevue, thank you for your continued leadership, partnerships, creating a springboard for the local economy, and your dedication to being environmentally responsible. Thank you, Brad. Our next speaker from the room is Matt Riemann. Matt, please come to the table and restate your name for the record and your topic related to the conduct of the port, please. 
Hello, everybody. I'm Matt Bremen, uh, AMT, National AMT Day and Career Pathways. Good afternoon, Commissioners and Acting Deputy Executive Director Stebbins. I am Matt Bremen, Manager of the Delta Airlines Tech Ops Maintenance Operation here in Seattle. Joining me today is Tian Nguyen, who recently completed Delta's Aviation Maintenance Technology or AMT <laughs> Apprentice Program and is now a full-time employee with us. We also have Kevin Healy, his supervisor, uh, in the room with us today. We are here to thank you for your ongoing support for an encouragement of Delta's Aviation Maintenance Technician Apprentice Program. As we mentioned earlier, tomorrow is National Aviation Maintenance Technology Technician Day, and Delta is honored each year to celebrate the many contributions AMTs have made to the in aviation industry. TN is now a part of more than 11,000 AMTs that make up the Delta Tech Ops North, North America's largest maintenance, repair, and overhaul group. One of the most successful ways we recruit AMTs is through Delta's TechU program, which has partnerships with more than 50 maintenance training schools across the U.S., including Everett Community College. South, South Seattle Community College and Spokane Community College. Through these partnerships, we offer career guidance for students of those schools as well as training opportunities for instructors. Best of all, Delta offers TechU students from the schools the opportunity to continue the training and obtain contingent employment through Delta Tech Ops potential full-time employee or PFE program. Our Seattle maintenance operation has 149 AMTs 78 of these employees started as PFEs and transitioned to full-time employees after the apprenticeship uh, with us. Recruiting and workforce development strategies will continue to be key in order to train and obtain top AMTs in the coming years. Thank you again for your ongoing support of workforce development programs here at Seattle with carriers like Delta. Thank you very much. Thanks. So next, I understand that we have three speakers that want to speak from SEIU 6. Um, please forgive any pronunciations that I, I mispronunciate. I have a Xenia Javelin. Um, Welcome, President Javalera. Thank Gracias you. Gracias por venir. Thank you. Um, Bruce Butali and a Nancy Kibucha. And again, I apologize for any mispronunciations. Please go ahead and state your names for the record and your topic related to the conduct of the port. Zenia Havalera, and I'm speaking on support of the healthcare proclamation. My name is Nancy Kibocha. My name is Bruce Batuli Daniel. So good afternoon, Port of Seattle commissioners, members of the port community, and um, SEIU 6 members. My name is Senia Havalera and I'm here today as president of SEIU 6 which represents the passenger service workers who power SeaTac. Wheelchair agents, cabin cleaners, baggage handlers, and ramp agents are a largely immigrant and BIPOC workforce who perform hands-on essential work. Oops. SEIU 6 members worked through the COVID-19 pandemic, the front lines of this airport without adequate healthcare insurance this whole time. 
That's why SEIU 6 members are joining airport workers across the country in demanding higher national standards as part of the Good Jobs for Good Airport Act. And that is why here in SeaTac we can't wait. We need to make improvements now. And so I want to extend my sincere thanks and gratitude to the Port of Seattle Commissioners for issuing your proclamation in support of health care um, for all airport workers. Our members have been fighting for a long time and now that we have your support, we see a path forward. So thank you so much. Hi, my name is Nancy Kibocha. I have been working as a cabin agent for six years. Getting healthcare at the airport would be very helpful, especially for me as an immigrant worker. Immediately at works at airport and immigrants too our property into the provide our families and create a stable environment for ourselves to build a life here. However, that is not possible when threats of falling sick with no insurance is looming over our heads. The cost of going to hospital without health insurance would cause our families to move backwards and bring an additional stance on us. That is why the SEIU 6, we have been fighting for health care at the airport for a long time. It's been just for us workers, but our families and our communities. We have all have health care. We can focus little. We have other areas of our families. We thank the port. Commissioners of, for standing with us together, we can help workers at the CTAC get health and improve our quality of life. Hey, my name is Bruce Batuli Daniel. I've been working as cabin cleaner at the airport for three and a half years. And I'm happy to the Port Commission recognize the need of airport workers to have a health care. Just a few months ago, I had a, a health care emergency. I got dizzy and I fell on the road and I had to call 911 and I was taken to the emergency room, unfortunately, because I did not have health insurance they did not provide me the care I needed. I had to go back home and make herbal medicine for myself. Workers should not have to choose between the health and the providing for the family. My story is the reality of many workers at the airport who are also immigrants like me. I am glad to that today we took the first step in the ensuring that a CTAC worker get access to the health care. We have a trying getting, getting it at the beginning table, but we have only got a pushback from the company and the airline. Helpful by working together, we can when employer pay health care for her or Europol worker. Thank you for hearing us all out. Really appreciate it.
Thank you. And our final sign-up um, here today is Bernard Kuntz. Bernard, if you could please come to the table, restate your name for the record and your topic related to the conduct of the port, please. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Bernard Kuntz. I'm an executive director with Highline Public Schools, and I'm here to talk about the item on your agenda today regarding the interlocal agreement with Highline Public Schools and Maritime High School. So first and foremost, I want to express our gratitude for the ongoing partnership um, through this agreement, as well as the relationships we've built to connect with different port staff to ensure that our students in our community have an elevated access to all the opportunities that are available in the port and beyond in the maritime world. We greatly, we greatly appreciate this unique partnership and the opportunities it affords our students. Um, moving into our next year, we're excited about this, about the, about the agreement being able to support um, the third year of the school and its operation. We're excited to invite a new ninth grade class that's the largest one yet to move in with a sizable increase from last year, um, as well as our first 11th grade class as they move into 11th grade with exciting new partnerships for new learning opportunities and as we get students closer to, um, to their completion at 12th grade to launch into the workforce. We have exciting opportunities in the 11th grade for them to begin seeking the certifications that they'll be getting in 11th to 12th grade to get ready for a wide range of different job opportunities. So we're very excited about that and we're excited about the support from the port to be able to help us do all that in a robust way. And it's a robust way that allows our teachers to focus on teaching and to have partnerships um, with a variety of different agencies from around the region um, that, that help us do that work in a really robust way. You're also aware that we have a leadership change underway and that leadership change, well leadership change can be challenging, it's also an opportunity for us to look and reflect on where we are and where we're headed and go back to the original purpose of the school and make sure we're still aligned with that and doing some course correction as we learn more about what it means to run a school like this. So um, again, really want to appreciate our ongoing um, gratitude for your support for this program. Thank you very much. Bernard, can I, how, how is, uh, you, you mentioned you're thinking the numbers are going to be uh, higher this year for the third entering class. Where, where are we at right now? Yeah, so the, um, the numbers for the incoming ninth grade class have ticked up about 12 or 13 beyond what they were for the, for the class for last year. So we're seeing an increase. It's not, it's not a doubling, <laughs> which we eventually hope to get to. You know, our goal is to get that, that, uh, that ninth grade class up to 100. Um, there's some scaling and some what's going to make sense to, to get to that, to that doubling here in the next few years that we anticipate. But yeah, right now we're um, about, at this point in the year, we're about 13 kids ahead of where we were this time last year. And I think that's so. particularly impressive in a uh, time when enrollment is, is going down in virtually every school around the region. That's so true. <laughs> That's it's true. Your, you're fighting a headwind there, too. Yeah. I will say uh, Maritime High School has attracted I mean, port commissioners, uh, state legislators, city council members, uh, representatives, senators, mm -hmm. the governor. So uh, we need to get an ask into the president to come visit, too. So yeah. I think that's... There we that go. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. Okay. Thank you. Back to you. Is there anybody else who has not signed up for public comment in advance that's in the room that would like to address the body? Going once, twice, three times. Clerk Hart, can you give us a synopsis of the written comments that we've received? Yes, thank you. Give me just one minute to stop sharing this. Mary Cruz, go ahead. 
Thank you, Madam Commission, Vice President, members of the Commission, Interim and Deputy Executive Director. We have received one written comment prior to our meeting today. This has been distributed to you in advance of the meeting and will become a part of the public record. The written comment comes from Christine Larson, who writes in support of creating a direct and safe downtown waterfront trail on the water side of the street that provides a convenient, safe, and intuitive experience for everyone. And that concludes our written comments received today. All right, thank you. And hearing no further public testimony, we will move on to the consent agenda. Items on the consent agenda are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion. Items removed from the consent agenda will be considered separately immediately after adoption of the remaining consent agenda items. So at this time, I'll entertain a motion to approve consent, agen consent agenda items A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and H. So moved. Second. The motion's been made and seconded. Commissioners, uh, please say aye or nay when your name is called. And I just want to note for the record that Commissioner Cho did disconnect from this call at 12.55. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins for a vote on the consent agenda. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Three ayes, zero nays for this item. Very good. And moving on in the agenda, we have no new business items today. So we're moving on to item 11, presentations and staff reports. Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record. And Interim Executive Deputy Executive Director Stephanie Jones-Stevens will then introduce it. Thank you. And I just want to note for the record that that consent agenda um, did pass. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And this is item 11A, the 2023 State Legislative Session Report. Stephanie? Microphone. On. It's almost like being on mute. Commissioners, the 2023 legislative session was one of the most successful ever for the port on, on quite a few counts. On behalf of Executive Director Metric, I would like to thank uh, Senior Director of External Relations, Pierce Edwards. Thank you, Pierce. And Director uh, of External Relations, Capital Project Delivery, Carrick. Claire Gallagher uh, for stepping in as we recruit a new senior state government relations manager. I will turn it over to Pierce and Pierce will introduce some additional distinguished guests to share more about the specific legislative progress on port priorities. Thank you, Pierce. Great. Thank you very much, uh, Deputy uh, Interim Dep Deputy Executive Director Joan Stebbins. That's a mouthful. Uh, and commissioners, it's good to be with you here today. Pierce Edwards, Senior Director of External Relations. I'm joined today by the Ports Contract Lobbyist, uh, Trent House and Brooke Davies, as well as our former State um, Government Relations Manager and current Executive Director of the Washington Public Ports Association, Eric Fitch, who will be presenting on uh, WPPA's, uh, uh, the, the, actually his first uh, five months as executive, executive Director of the organization. So we look forward to hearing from him at the conclusion of this report. Uh, before I begin, I do want to say thank you to uh, commissioners, uh, each and every one of you, and those that aren't here today, for participating and helping out in this year's session via written testimony, public testimony, virtual testimony, writing letters, attending uh, bill signing ceremonies. Uh, your support was very welcomed and uh, important to the success of our legislative session. I also want to sh uh, give thanks to Claire Gallagher, who's not here today in person, who helped me manage this year's. Oh, she is here. Nick, you made it. 
Okay, sorry, Claire is here in person, uh, who helped uh, me manage uh, this year's uh, session. We had a unique setup that worked very well, uh, but we do look forward to hiring a, a replacement for uh, Mr. Fitch uh, as we move towards the 2024 legislative session. I also want to thank a number of subject matter experts across the port who lent their support to me and Claire and our lobbyists to better understand the issues and lean into uh, some of the bills that uh, we were able to change and amend uh, during the process. So thank you all. Um, as uh, Deputy uh, uh, Interim uh, Executive Director, uh, Interim Deputy Executive Director Joan Stebbins stated in her intro, it was a very successful session for the Port of Seattle and for the NWSA and in ports for general. I think you'll hear that throughout this presentation and through uh, Fitch's uh, presentation from the WPPA. Uh, just by way of, of noting, we had over 2,300 bills that were introduced this session, uh, almost 500 of which became law. Um, so uh, almost every, each and every bill that we uh, had on our policy agenda uh, passed the session except for three. Um, and as a reminder, those bills still live on in the short session, which is great news for us, so we can revisit those bills in January of 2024. Uh, next slide, please. Thank you. Uh, those big bills that we'll cover today, as well as others, include the Sustainable Aviation, aviation Fuels Passage, uh, the two-to-one match bill, <clears throat> uh, decarbonization, uh, resource center, centers for victims of sex trafficking, uh, child care centers, uh, the Gateway Project got funded, the second phase of the Gateway Project, missing middle housing, and the list goes on and on. Some of those that we need to revisit are the RAP Act, which was a, or is a, uh, recycling bill, uh, tourism funding uh, to see if we can get additional funds uh, put in next year, as well as uh, a bill that uh, Commissioner Hasegawa and I uh, worked on so closely, which related to uh, asset forfeiture, which I think we've made good progress on already um, in the short interim. We will get to the budget. Uh, of course, our budget, three budgets that passed, the, uh, uh, the uh, operating capital and transportation budgets. Uh, when we get into details in those uh, numbers, I do ask your patience because we're still combing through uh, what those numbers mean, especially as it comes to grant making. One of the things I'll be doing in the interim with Fitch and his staff at WPPA is getting a better understanding of some of the, for example, shore power and decarbonization grants being uh, uh, advanced that, that were included in the budget, but uh, still need some clarity uh, as to what those funds can be used for. Next slide, please. All right, the big three uh, and uh, budget uh, agenda items related to carbonization uh, that passed the session. Of course, we all know about sustainable, avi sustainable aviation jet fuels uh, that passed. Uh, it goes without saying that the passage of this bill, as well as uh, the passage of the uh, clean energy siding bill, is already bearing results, as was witnessed uh, in last week's news with Sky Energy, uh, 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 preparing to uh, 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 construct and operate a SAF uh, production facility in Washington by 2028 or 2029 that will employ 600 employees. Just absolutely fantastic news uh, for Washington State, the environment, and uh, our ability to reach our, our, our goals of uh, SAF use at uh, SEA. Uh, of course, the port uh, was part of a coalition uh, of, uh, of other uh, uh, of industry, uh, university, and uh, suppliers. Uh, that worked to pass this bill with Senate Majority uh, Andy Billig at the helm. Uh, basically, the bill incentivizes in-state production, which is noted as uh, already paying dividends, um, 
There are two amendments I'd like to, to note in the bill that I think are important to, uh, to talk about or to, to mention to you all. One is an amendment uh, for Washington State University to convene an alternative jet fuels work group to further the development of uh, uh, alternative jet fuels. So it'll include the R&D, development, suppliers, production, and utilization community. And the second amendment actually directly relates to SEA, which calls for the UW and Washington State University to calculate ultra-fine and fine particulate matter from use of SAF at our airport, including regional air quality benefits. And this will commence in 2025, hopefully after uh, we have some use of SAF here at the airport. Uh, on a related note, uh, there was a, a budget proviso for $6.5 million in the state transportation budget for a sustainable aviation fuels R&D facility at Washington, uh, at, excuse me, at, in, uh, with Washington State University at Payne Field, which is also good news for the production and advancement of SAF here in Washington State. The second decarbonization uh, matter that I'll touch on is shore power. Uh, there was a lot of uh, significant progress in Olympia uh, uh, on this matter, uh, this session, including uh, WashDOT receiving $29 million to allocate uh, as grants to port districts for supportive decarbonization work. Um, this does not include uh, money sent directly to four ports, including Seattle, Everett, Bremerton, and Anacortes, uh, with direct appropriations uh, for shore power. At, at, at Seattle, that money goes to the NWSA to Terminal 18 for shore power. Uh, but there's also the grant uh, making that we'll be looking into, as I noted, with um, Eric Fitch and his team at WPPA about what these grants mean and when, uh, what details uh, come out of those conversations. On clean trucks, uh, the transportation budget includes $20 million for an early action grant program for zero emission commercial trucks, $6.3 million for zero emission drayage truck demonstration work with the NWSA, which is great for the North and South Harbor. Uh, and $33.7 million for charging and refueling stations along Washington Highway's priority corridors, which not, while not directly related to the trucks, uh, it, it will benefit trucks because they'll be able to plug into uh, this network of, of recharging uh, stations. Next slide, please. Um, one of the highlights of this session is a bill that, uh, that we've long been working on um, in the past two or three uh, sessions, and that is what we're calling the two-to-one match bill, which finally passed the session. Um, and uh, we were able to do that thanks to uh, uh, the fact that there was a, uh, a bill uh, put forward by, uh, uh, in the House pertaining to uh, cities and counties' use of, 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 of grant dollars and partnerships with uh, service organizations in their communities. Um, one of our, our contract lobbyists, Brooke Davies, uh, actually found this bill and was able to reach out to the bill's sponsor and get an amendment attached to uh, the bill uh, directly related to port districts and lowering the three-to-one match to a two-to-one match. As a reminder, the current RCW requires that any nonprofit community organization that we partner with must uh, show uh, uh, three times the value of the money that we uh, donate to them for their work uh, to be able to, to able to accept that grant. That lowers it to a two-to-one match, which is very exciting for our community organizations. Uh, the good news is that this uh, bill was signed into law already and is, uh, goes into effect in July. So we'll be ready for the next round of grants, which is fantastic news for the port and our partners in the South King County communities. Next, please. Uh, 
quick review of some of the other bills that we worked on the session that, uh, that were passed by the legislature. One, I already referenced the Clean Energy Siding Bill, uh, which was uh, sponsored by Representative Fitzgibbon. Uh, this will streamline permitting and siding of clean energy uh, facilities in Washington. Uh, one of the ways they, the bill proposes to do that is to expedite the EIS work done by state agencies under SEPA. Uh, to complete that work within 24 months for clean energy projects. So uh, looking forward to seeing how that moves forward, especially as it pertains to our new SAF or proposed SAF uh, facility in Washington State. Uh, resource Centers for Human Trafficking, actually the Clean Energy Bill and the Resource Centers for Human Trafficking were the first two bills that we weighed in on uh, during session. Uh, the Resource Centers passed uh, nearly unanimously and uh, uh, this session and we'll create one resource center for victims of sex trafficking, one center in Western Washington, one center in Eastern Washington. Uh, that goes into effect in July, and the bill did receive funding in the state capital budget uh, for 5.7 million, which means this project or program will be able to move forward uh, in the coming year. Uh, child care facilities was a uh, add to our legislative agenda, I believe, in January that we put forward uh, under the after the request or through the request of Commissioner Muhammad. This bill would allow resource child care facilities uh, in shared uh, or common interest communities. So those would be condominium complexes, apartment buildings, or those uh, areas under uh, the administration of HOA um, that allow uh, for uh, child care facilities to be operated on those premises. The bill passed uh, unanimously out of both houses and became effective immediately on May 1st upon the governor's uh, signature. So thank you for bringing that idea forward and for helping out with that uh, bill. Uh, middle housing, uh, a bill that, uh, that we weighed in on uh, for two reasons. It's, one is to support, obviously, uh, dense housing in areas that are already zoned uh, residential and to further that uh, point uh, and not building them in lands that are working, i.e. those uh, lands zoned industrial or, uh, or as parks. Uh, the bill did call that out specifically that uh, uh, that the, that these dense housing was for uh, the uh, uh, areas zoned residential already. Uh, the bill that, that passed is slightly different than the one that was introduced, which uh, the one the bill that was introduced focused really on a, a wide variety of Washington communities. The, the bill that passed was amended really to focus on the greatest variety of density, that being fourplexes and threeplexes in cities of 75,000 or more, which affect two uh, communities in King County, Seattle and Bellevue, uh, which will allow for a, a variety of density uh, in those communities, which is great news uh, for Seattle uh, and, and Bellevue. And that bill uh, passed uh, with bipartisan support in both chambers, uh, although a, a few, uh, we lost some support uh, with the amendments uh, as the bill moved forward. Um, on workforce training, the, the big bill this year on workforce training was relating uh, and another uh, great move for, for the climate uh, relating to the clean energy sector. So we supported this legislation to develop workforce training programs in the clean energy sector by, by uh, and th this bill will create, excuse me, the uh, Washington Climate Corps Network and directs the state's workforce training and education board to establish a committee to evaluate uh, workforce needs uh, in the green economy. Uh, so that will move forward. Uh, the, those bills passed on a, a party line vote. 
Also, uh, in addition to our agenda this year, under the, the request of Commissioner Hasegawa, was public safety. There were a number of public safety bills that uh, were uh, advanced this year. The one in particular that we paid attention to uh, and that gained a lot of attention was the passage of a bill prohibiting the manufacture, importation, distribution, and, and, uh, and uh, sale of semi-automatic weapons such as the AR-15. Uh, the governor signed that bill on April 25th, immediately after it passed, and it immediately became law upon signing. Uh, there were other measures, as noted, uh, that didn't get as much uh, uh, coverage uh, relating to uh, the marketing of firearms and how those uh, uh, firearms are marketed, especially towards youth, um, as well as a uh, police pursuit bill um, that, uh, that passed um, earlier on in session. Um, with public contracting, uh, there actually were a number of bills that passed uh, in, re in regards to this uh, body of work. And uh, I want to thank Janice Zahn for her help guiding this work through session, uh, given her expertise uh, through CPARB and, uh, and uh, her, her knowledge uh, in this issue. But the one I want to uh, highlight was an apprenticeship utilization uh, bill uh, that will require port districts with over $2 million in projects over $2 million to achieve a 15% uh, use of apprenticeship with a phased in approach for, through, uh, from 2024 until 2028. Uh, WPPA worked on the port's behalf, all port's behalf, uh, that while we supported uh, apprenticeship utilization as an effective way to grow, we did have some concerns that the legislation could become a barrier to small businesses who may not be able to meet those thresholds. Thus, the uh, delay in the implementation and also the bill requiring LNI uh, to study such impact as part of the law. So we'll be watching that closely over the next four or five years. Um, Last on this list is tourism. Uh, we've strongly supported this bill through session. This was a bill to change uh, the tourism financing uh, uh, law in Washington from a two-to-one match to a direct one-to-one -one state match uh, for tourism marketing. As I stated, uh, the bill requested uh, $26 million, uh, um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, early on in the session, um, uh, the, 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 the mantra on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, in Olympia was that the, the state already has enough tourists and we don't need to fully fund this. People come here already and that, uh, that just uh, could not be beaten down. So the bill wound up with about $9 million uh, in funding. Some other good news though for other tourist programs is the state budget included $150 million for outdoor recreation and conservation and $81 million for state parks. Next slide. CAC replacement, that is misspelled. It's C-A-C-C, not C-A-A-C, which stands for the Commercial Aviation Coordinating Commission, which I think we're all aware of, which was a commission <laughs> settled or, or formed a few years ago by Senator Kaiser uh, to, um, to identify a preferred site for the next commercial service uh, airport. As we all know, that announcement of preferred sites, uh, the preferred sites led to widespread local opposition and a push by House Transportation Chair Phi uh, who introduced a bill to decommission, it, decommission uh, the commission uh, and replace it with a uh, new uh, board that submits a progress report to the governor and the legislature on an annual uh, basis. Uh, the port will retain its seat on that committee. Moses Lake and Spokane will also uh, be on the committee, as will seven uh, community representatives from eastern and western Washington. The, the CACC only had uh, two. 
Uh, the bill was partially vetoed by the governor. Um, a couple of those uh, line item vetoes were technical. One requires uh, the CACC to make uh, at least one recommendation by June 15th. However, I don't believe the board actually decided on any one site, so I don't think they're going to be able to put a airport airport uh, preferred site or location preferred site, preferred site location on uh, April, on June 15th. So stay tuned uh, for that. Um, derelict aquatic structures is what it is. Uh, it was a bill to support ongoing work to remove derelict structures from waterways. We did have to work with the bill sponsors to make some uh, small changes to the bill, uh, which uh, have since uh, I've lapsed exactly what those are. But if you have questions, I'm sure Fitch remembers since WPPA was driving that with a uh, request for many ports in addition to the Port of Seattle. Uh, FEMSIB reform, for those of you who don't know who, what, uh, what FEMSIB is, it's the Freight Mobility and Strategic Investment Board. Uh, was, uh, a reform bill was put forward by House Transportation FI to redirect its authority. Um, instead of having direct grant-making authority, the board will now provide strategic guidance to the governor on legislature on priority projects, as well as establish criteria that projects must demonstrate engagement with impacted or overburdened communities. Uh, that could be impacted by any uh, project and plans to evaluate project and alternatives and mitigation for those communities. They also changed the structural makeup of the board to include with the additional five members, three of which I think are of interest to the commission in the Port of Seattle, which is one member representing environmental uh, protection interest, one member representing the interest of overburdened communities, and one labor mem member uh, re representing the freight sector. So uh, the good news is, that in, uh, in addition to these, uh, these uh, authority changes, the uh, board received $30 million in funding, which is the first time uh, it had received funding in a number of years. So that's great for the port as we really rely on this board uh, for improvements to the, straight, the state's uh, freight transportation network. Uh, the Port Antitrust is not as grand as it seems. It uh, was a, a, a bill that would allow smaller ports I have the same rights and authorities uh, as uh, the Port of Seattle and Tacoma do, for example, in the NWSA. That extends the state's antitrust protections to these ports uh, relating to how they can talk about rates and fees and whatnot in, in, uh, in private. Uh, quiet Sound funding, uh, let's skip over public contracting, we already hit on that one. Quiet Sound, we were able to secure $700,000 uh, for, uh, for uh, Quiet Sound uh, in the state uh, operating budget. Next slide, please. Wrapping up here, more work to be done. I hit on this, a couple of these already. Transit-oriented development was a bill that we paid attention to, uh, mainly for the same reason as uh, the middle housing, which is uh, impacts to industrial and working lands. Uh, the bill uh, actually ha had uh, widespread uh, support. However, uh, when it moved to the House, there's an amendment put forward uh, on an affordable housing clause that split the, uh, split the uh, coalition, and uh, the bill did not make it, uh, make it forward, so it'll be re reintroduced uh, next year. Uh, asset forfeiture, or pro forfeited property reform, is a bill that uh, Commissioner Hasegawa worked closely on. In fact, we, we got um, uh, an amendment uh, put forward to the bill that would allow the port to expand its use of forfeited funds uh, beyond uh, its uh, current purposes, which is uh, legal drug interdiction. For example, we can hire port police to work on drug interdiction uh, enforcement 
uh, Commissioner Hasegawa came up with the idea to expand that to be able to hire officers related to uh, 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 watching uh, for human trafficking and gun control efforts at the airport. Uh, the bill ran into opposition or just didn't move forward out of policy committee because we couldn't find an executive agency, uh, for example, like the treasurer's office or uh, one of the governor's agencies to actually enforce the act. So we'll be working in the interim session to identify uh, an executive department uh, that uh, may be able to do that. We have some early leads about how that might be able to happen in the interim session. So that bill, hopefully we'll see day of light again, uh, light of day again in uh, January in the uh, short session. Uh, the last one to note is a bill that we supported uh, called the RAP Act, which was the Washington Recycling and Packaging Act. It is a recycling act uh, that uh, was important to the port because we uh, rely on the recycling system in the state to achieve our goal to divert 60% of our uh, waste from landfills through waste reduction and recycling. Uh, unfortunately, the bill, uh, similar to TOD, uh, died because of too many uh, amendments that were hung on to the act uh, and it ran into widespread opposition, but again, it will be back in the 2024 short session. And last but not least, next slide please, before we go to Mr. Fitch, is the three budgets. Uh, the legislature approved a $69 billion operating budget with no new taxes, surprisingly, although the bill was helped by the addition of $1 billion from, uh, from the, uh, oh heck, what was it, from the, uh, um, it was the, uh, yeah, no, no, it wasn't the CCA. It was the Supreme Court's decision on capital gains tax, put $1 billion into the, uh, $1 billion into the uh, coffers. And then also we had, um, we had $300 million put in from the sale of, um, from the, the first sale of uh, first auction, car, state's first carbon auction, and there are two more carbon auctions coming up. So that 300 million exceeded uh, expectations across the board. So there were new sources of revenue put into the budget, but they did not have to include any new, uh, any new taxes uh, in the budget. Some of the highlights in that that I've already hit on uh, include the clean energy siting and permitting, which is 55 million, the climate core, quiet sound, Marine Corps Plus programs got a million, uh, the sex trafficking resource center, centers and uh, tourism um, are some of the highlights of that. Uh, the uh, transportation budget, uh, $13.5 billion, included electrification grants for $29 million, zero emission shore power infrastructure demonstration project at NWSA facilities, $14 million, SR-167 and 509 are gateway projects, $875 million, and the SR-18 widening project got 57 million. This will widen SR-18 from Issaquah, Hobart Road to the west towards Tiger Summit, which is important for freight mobility um, and passenger uh, and traffic safety. Last but not least, the capital construction project, $4 billion uh, in funding, a lot of clean energy money in there, including $60 million for clean energy research and development, uh, $60 million for, 60, uh, for clean energy grant funds, solar innovation got $39 million, um, and also $40 million uh, for grants to reduce carbon emissions in hard to decarbonize sectors in the aviation and maritime sectors. And those are examples of some of those monies we want to find out more about. We don't have a lot of clarity on what those, what those dollars can be used for, uh, but certainly want to look at uh, ways that we can tap into that for the Port of Seattle and for the NWSA. And last slide. Uh, just next steps, special session, that already happened. They were in for one day to work on a drug, uh, drug enforcement uh, or sentencing laws, changing drug possession from a misdemeanor to a gross misdemeanor. Uh, 
not in here is hiring Eric's replacement. Once we have that, we'll be doing interim meetings, interim meetings with lawyers, lawmakers, uh, then looking at tours with legislative stakeholders in the fall, and then the 2024 legislative agenda, which will come to you uh, later this year, hopefully with someone else but me. But if it's not, I'll be happy to do it again. <laughs> Had a lot of fun. Pitch. Eric, Eric if I could, I, I neglected to, to introduce you in the beginning, and I just want to welcome you back. <laughs> Uh, Executive Director of WPPA, Eric Fitch, a man who needs no introduction in this house. Thank, thanks for being here. Thank you, Director Joan Stebbins. I'm going to cut to the chase and just go with Director. Um, <laughs> commissioners and, and everybody up here, obviously I missed you greatly and I'm glad to be back so soon. I told everybody when I took this new job, don't worry, it's good for everybody. We'll still be working together. And um, that was not a well-received message. Um, but it turns out we did do some work together. So I'm here to tell you a little bit about how we partnered. I'll introduce myself, Eric Fitch, Executive Director of the Washington Public Ports Association. Uh, it's a position I assumed on January 3rd. Um, I left my old role on December 28th. And um, I was very focused on ensuring a smooth transition, not, in, not for my new organization, but for my old organization. So I, I want to talk a bit about how that happened. But I'll be brief, number one. Um, what you see on the screen before you, just for reference, advocating, educating, and connecting. Those are the, the three pillars of the Washington Public Ports Association. I'll talk primarily today about the advocacy. Um, we, we are immediately turning our attention to education. Just had our spring conference where some of the issues Pierce raised were discussed in the name of getting information to our members. And then connection and community is another element I hope you all, commissioners, and other port staff take advantage of because we do try to provide a forum where port folks from, from very different ports facing very similar issues can work together. Um, I, I want to start with, with a huge thanks to Pierce and Claire. Hard, hard to believe I, I took the job from Claire seven years ago and then sort of handed it back to her seven years later. Um, so thanks for stepping back in. Um, Pierce um, re really didn't break stride in, in working our legislative agenda. Um, Trent and Brooke were uh, really good partners for me and, and other WPPA advocates. And um, I took great note of the commissioner engagement in Olympia, which which not just for Port of Seattle commissions, but for all of our commissioners at WPPA really has a big difference given the relationships you, you have with lawmakers. Um, so the WPPA legislative agenda, much like the Port of Seattle's legislative agenda, comes together over the interim as issues are raised by our members that need addressing in Olympia. Um, I'm proud to say that the WPPA agenda that we advocated on this year reflected quite a few Port of Seattle priorities. It was approved by the Board of Trustees on December 9th, the same day that not only was my hiring approved, but the day that Commissioner Calkins uh, became the Executive Committee President. So um, I'm lucky to have Commissioner Calkins as our WPPA Board President in my first year. Um, the the agenda did reflect port priorities, but not not because of me or or Ryan or anyone else. Really, it reflected the focus of, of membership service that existed at the association before I arrived. Um, a few of those priorities Pierce has already noted. Um, ports across the state are interested in decarbonizing and electrifying, so that was on the agenda. Clean energy facility siting was of interest because a lot of ports host uh, clean energy facilities and want to do more of that sort of work. Um, Derelict structure removal is a is a a business line for some ports, not just the Port of Seattle. So we wanted to make sure that the bill brought forward by the Department of Natural Resources didn't uh, duplicate or compete, but instead complemented our uh, and other ports' work. And um, public works contracting, an issue I, I was proud to work on for several years, 
in my Port of Seattle role and one that it affects ports across the state as well. Um, tourism is an evergreen port issue. It was added to the ports, ports broadly statutory authorities in 2009 and many of um, your colleagues at other ports around the state sit on tourism boards and destination marketing organization uh, boards in their communities. Um, I'm, I'm going to focus briefly here on one of the big wins. We, we have a first-of-its-kind port electrification grant program. Uh, Pierce said 29, I say 26 and a half. Who's counting? And what's important is that the money gets spent. Um, legislators with whom we spent a lot of time, um, all of us when I was at the Port of Seattle and now in my new role, um, came to us and said, we're, we're going to have money to invest in heavy industry. We want you to help us suggest what, where it would be most um, effective if, if invested. And um, one of the results was a really robust investment in port electrification. Um, as Pierce noted, there, there's money for Everett, uh, Northwest Seaport Alliance, Bremerton, and Anacortes. We did put forward a few what we call early action projects, projects we think can be built in the near term to demonstrate immediate emissions reduction in air quality impacts. Um, but there's $26.5 there that is unsubscribed. So we want to work with you and with our other members to hopefully um, guide WashDOT and the state government as they put together the grant program. It's been made clear to us that if we, if we spend this all, we might get more. And if we don't spend it, we're never getting another cent. So we need to make sure that we can demonstrate the effectiveness of that investment. Um, clean energy facility siting goes hand in hand. We've we've um, set aggressive goals for um, our state's carbon emissions and GHG reductions. We can't meet those with the current amount of energy being produced in the state. So there's a real demand for uh, attracting new industry. We have you know state entities like Department of Commerce out there actively recruiting, but oftentimes companies make it to Washington and find it challenging to have their projects permitted um, efficiently. So we had a few port representatives, um, a, um, a director from Grays Harbor, a director from Port of Benton, who sat on a panel for, I think, 18 months looking at potential reforms that could be made. Um, House Bill 1216 came forward and, and it included quite a few ideas to make it so that with, without fundamentally changing our State Environmental Policy Act, how could we make it clear to project proponents that we wanted their projects here, that they would be built in the state, that we could provide some certainty. So um, sign of a good compromise. That bill didn't really satisfy anybody. Um, so there's more work to be done. We were glad to support it and glad to see the Port of Seattle supporting it as well. But um, we, we go into next session with some really clear ideas of, of things that were left on the table as that bill was being worked through the process that could be um, brought forward next time around. Um, and, and I want to focus here, maybe before just allowing more time for questions, on the, the, the antitrust bill. Um, this is what I like to refer to affectionately as the Tom Tanaka Memorial Legislation. Um, Tom Tanaka spent about 30 years really actively engaging with the, the Washington Public Ports Association. You all um, might have thought he was busy enough with the Port of Seattle's business, but he was chairing WPPA's legal committee. He was faithfully attending meetings. And through that, he was developing an understanding of the collaborative role or the collaborative nature of ports. There is a small, sleepy entity called the Northwest Marine Terminals Association where ports meet and talk about the real basic aspects of port operations. How much are you charging for dockage on Columbia River versus on Puget Sound? How do you build, build in the cost of new stormwater regulations into your tariff so that the, the shippers are paying their share? Um, those conversations were happening out of the light of day thanks to a federal maritime 
uh, commissioning antitrust exemption that was granted 80 years ago under federal law. Um, a few years ago, the federal government started sending letters to our members, some of um, the marine terminal operators that you're familiar with, Ports of Kalama, Anacortes, uh, Longview, started receiving letters saying you, you no longer have federal antitrust immunity. So everyone um, sort of threw up their hands in the face of the uh, glacial federal bureaucracy, and Tom Tanaka said, well, actually, the state can step in and solve this. So the state um, lent its antitrust immunity to port districts for specific activities to allow ports to continue meeting to discuss rates and charges. Literally within two weeks of the bill being signed by the governor, Port of Kalama's operations director went back to the Northwest Marine Terminals Association, where he hadn't been able to go for for, for uh, two years. The, the reason I spend so much time on this is because I'm focused in my new role on identifying areas of mutual interest for all port districts. This one, when Tom first brought it to me 18 months ago, seemed like, why would the Port of Seattle care about this? We still have our federal antitrust immunity. Seattle, Tacoma, Everett, and Vancouver, the four big ports, maintained their antitrust immunity under federal law, whereas these other eight ports lost it. The reason that matters is because Port of Seattle still benefits if there are 12 ports at the table compared to four or even 16 because some Oregon ports lost it as well. So this is why Tom was pushing Port of Seattle to advocate for it. This is why I worked on it both in my old role and in my new role. And this is why even though it directly impacts ports that are down on the Columbia River or, or up further north in the Sound, it will have benefit to the ports in Puget Sound as well. So it's a really good example of mutual benefit. Um, Two other quick mutual benefit examples, um, sustainable aviation fuel. We've, um, Port of Seattle, we, you, have all been a national leader on that for more than a decade. And when I got to WPPA, I foolishly held it up as an example of something I had worked on previously that I wouldn't, ha-ha, spend as much time on now until my members said, wait a second, you know, Port of Seattle might want to gas up the planes with the SAF. We want to develop it at our ports. So there are already two ports hopefully more who are under active agreements with SAF developers to site their facilities at port districts in Washington. So, so thanks in part to that bill that, that you all led on and that we supported on. Um, we're hoping that ports will both use SAF and also develop SAF. Um, plastic pollution and clean er, and derelict structures, both those bills are, are part and parcel of the same example where, wherein a bill was brought forward which in, initially caused concern to ports about its, its unintended impacts. The plastic pollution bill was intended to reduce single-use plastics, think hotel shampoo bottles, um, but the original language would have rendered the docks at ports of Seattle, Everett, et cetera, out of compliance because of the hard-shelled uh, plastic. Now, we talked to the Port of Seattle folks and other port operators, discovered that our marina managers follow industry best practices to ensure that there's no um, foam into the natural environment, essentially. So we were able to work with the Northwest Marine Terminal Association, Northwest Marine Trade Association, lots of different NMTAs, um, to get language in there that didn't change the initial intent of the bill, still will improve the reducing plastics in the natural environment, but doesn't have uh, unintended consequences on our members. It's the same thing that happened with the derelict structures bill, and it's an example of when you'll hear from us, WPPA, saying, send us your brightest environmental minds. We need to have a meeting and, and provide some real feedback to legislators so that we, we make sure the bills um, do what they're intended to do and, and that we can continue operating. 
So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. I'm happy to answer questions. I hope you'll throw some at Pierce and his lobby team, and um, glad to be back. Thank you all for the support. Thank you. Yes, it concludes the presentation. Happy to. Open it up to our commissioners at this time for questions and comments. Go for it, Commissioner Mohammed. Um, no questions, just uh, comments. It was definitely a very successful session, and I just want to give a huge thank you to Pierce, Claire, and your entire team for representing us so well at the Port of Seattle. Um, and I was especially grateful for the opportunities to support a number of these bills. The um, two-to-one match bill was, was really important, mm -hmm. especially for our community-based organizations that we've heard from, the clean trucks bill, um, the child care facility was a really important one as well. A number of those child care facilities that were advocating for this bill um, had kids whose their, their parents are uh, employees of the airport. Mm -hmm. And so it was one that was directly connected to some of the work that we're doing. So thanks for adding that um, at the last minute and amending our legislative agenda. Um, it was also great to um, attend the governor's bill signing the seven climate action bills. That was groundbreaking for our region and um, being able to uh, see the sustainable aviation fuel pass is really important for communities that we serve and um, the business line that we're in. So I just uh, wanted to extend um, my gratitude for the hard work that you all put in. Thank you, Commissioner, and thank you for going back and forth in two days for bill signings to Central Washington and back to Olympia. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins. So just a, a quick question. Uh, do we have a map of where the funding for recharging stations no, I don't believe that's come out. I believe it's just the funding for it. I don't, I'm sure they have some idea, but we can talk to WashDOT and Ecology. I'm just wondering if we need to advocate for the gateway. Um, yeah. If those sure. are already included, uh, you know, I think five We can reach out to them. The, the, the state seven would be great, and potentially, okay. you know, the heavy haul corridor in, mm -hmm. in uh, Seattle could be a candidate um, as well, since we know lots of big trucks are on that. Um, I do, I'm going to add to the kind of uh, kudos to, to Eric and his team. First of all, it's important to note that Eric is now the sort of ports czar for the state. So the fact that he would deign to be present here at the port of Seattle, <laughs> one of just 73 ports. It's I live like three miles from here, so it's <laughs> not a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, I, I also want to say, so, you know, last week we had the WPPA spring meeting, which is very education intensive, and it's a lot of work for the WPPA staff. And uh, it was um, by all accounts, and I'm talking about other commissioners from around the state telling me uh, the most successful spring meeting in a long time. And it is because, as Eric mentioned, of great long-standing staff, but also because of the leadership of, of Eric. Uh, he has taken the reins of the WPPA, and he has done an extraordinary job. A year ago, we were in a period of real turmoil in the organization where the morale was very low. Uh, there were reports, um, there had been issues you know, related to COVID and um, because of the changes in revenue uh, amongst various ports, it had really put a strain on um, the, the kind of budget and finances, both for ports and for the organization. Um, and uh, we found a great leader, and he has really righted the ship. And uh, I heard it 100% of the feedback that I got uh, from 
commissioners about the the WPPA was positive, and virtually everyone attributed to Eric. So I just want to say, um, good job, executive committee, on finding that guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, second thing I wanted to say uh, is just a, a round of gratitudes, basically. Um, after session, I had a chance to talk to Sean and Lisa, and, and I don't think I caught up with you, Trent, but every time I asked somebody from our team, either here at the Port of Seattle or uh, NWSA, um, just to say, wow, you guys really crushed it this session, every single one of them pointed to somebody else on the team and said, no, it was really her, it was really him. And I think that speaks to what a great team we have overall, that they really do, they, they sort of work together really well, they know each other's strengths, They um, kind of uh, cover all the bases. And I think that's a good part of why we were so successful this session, both at the port and the WPPA and the Seaport Alliance. So uh, great job. I'm looking forward to the interim because I think there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of stuff we get to do in terms of implementation based on a couple of very successful years. And that's you know a lot of the work we're gonna be doing right now. So thanks again. Thank you. I meant to mention one thing, just you brought it up there as far as interim work. Um, Pierce mentioned tourism and this, this strange sentiment in Olympia that people were just coming to Washington because it was such a great place. And I even heard Port of Seattle's success in cruise mentioned as an example. Look at all the cruise passengers. I don't think people know how much work went into developing that in that business here. So one educational item that we're, we're doing this interim, not specific to cruise, is making sure people understand how we attract visitors to Washington and the work that ports do. So that's just another item of, of future partnership, I think. Well, I think when Fitch left at the end of December, I'm sorry, Director Fitch <laughs> <laughs> left at the end of December, a week and a half before legislative session started, we're, I know I was sort of having a holy smokes moment and what are we gonna do? And just the team as you put it, Director Fitch, that you did not um, uh, miss stride at all. It was an incredibly successful session and it was really, I think, kind of a privilege for me to be able to observe Director Edwards in action, going physically down to Olympia and handling business. Um, congratulations to the team and the collaborative effort um, for all of the different wins. Um, except for the one that I really <laughs> made a priority, which is fine. Um, as you mentioned, there were challenges in identifying an agency. I did have a conversation with Representative Hackney, who mentioned that LNI would be an appropriate agency. Potentially, they already have systems in place to track that sort of information. So it's a strong lead to follow up on. I saw that we did have Chief Via in the room. Um, he's gone now, but I wonder if there's a role for him also to be able to plug in an advocacy in concert with... Um, with the um, the uh, Washington Association of Police Chiefs and Sheriffs. Uh, when I heard them in public testimony, um, I think it caught them off guard, but based on what they heard in the testimony, they were able to get on board with it. Yeah. Uh, I think we can leverage that too, because law enforcement has such an important role to play in making sure that we're not just safeguarding for the proliferation of firearms and um, other trafficking movements in our society, but um, uh, just really promoting um, making sure that we are leveraging the funds uh, in, a, in the most effective way possible. So that's exciting. I look forward to the upcoming legislative session. I've got two questions. One of them is for P. 
Pierce about the transportation budget. I see that we got 29 million for port electrification competitive grants. Um, does that satisfy us and what we're looking for? We knew that we needed to return to the legislative session to get to the granularity to be able to support the decarbonization of the heavy transportation um, infrastructure sector. Does this satisfy that or are we going to have to go back? Um, it's, uh, Fitch and I have uh, we're working off a couple different numbers, but it was 26 or 29 million. Probably Fitch is right, but uh, it's a good first step. Okay. But to as as we were alluding to, we need to prove that we can spend those money, uh, those monies on projects that uh, will uh, bring benefit. Uh, there's a real str struggle with that number um, and the funding for that, but I think there is um, a recognition that more money is needed for uh, projects such as shore power. Uh, in fact, there was, and correct me if I'm wrong, Fitch, there were some budget, I mean, out-year monies that project thinking about how much money could be spent on, on projects like shore power, and it was significantly higher than $26 million. So I think this is a test for us to see how we can utilize that money. But, Fitch, you can jump in, you know, as well. Yeah. Do about I mean, I think the answer is, first off, that, that the 26 and a half plus four, five, two and a half, it's yeah. lots of different chunks, is not enough. It's enough for what was put forward by project proponents for the next two-year window. There was, in, in the Senate capital budget, uh, a look-ahead item for $140 yeah. million over right. the next four years, which I have to assume is based on, um, you know, Seaport Alliance does a good job of tracking its future capital investments in DCARB mm -hmm. at its facilities, so I think that may have been reflected there. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll just say, as a plug, there's going to be a lot of opportunity over the next few years to demonstrate the need, um, and there are programs out there. Uh, the, the $185 million that was made available for medium heavy-duty zero-emission vehicles um, allows for cargo handling equipment, on-dock equipment, so your rubber-tired gantry cranes, your top picks, whatever they may be, could potentially be eligible as well. Um, so. I think at least what we're focused on in the near term is putting forward a, a variety of projects that demonstrate the breadth of the need so that when we go back in two years, we say, here, here's the scale that we're looking at and here's the scale of investment that you should put forward. So that, that's sort of the immediate challenge. But no, it's not enough. Okay. More is needed and there will be more on the table if, if we spend this the right way. Okay. Got it. Thank you. And then I saw that we also have... Um, for natural resources, 56.6 million towards air quality. I saw somewhere else that there's funds dedicated towards understanding ultrafine particles. Um, Eric, we're unique in that we have the airport. Are there any other ports that are advocating for like community resiliency grants or you know uh, community-based programs to mitigate impacts from port operations? Um, as far as that specific type of work, I can't think of a port off the top of my head. I, I will just say that a lot of ports are investing in climate action plans. Um, increasingly, their capital plans include a focus on, um, if not resiliency, on just reducing emissions. Seattle and Tacoma are ahead, um, and so acting as an example, but I'll just say um, Port of Camas Watch Google just put out a guide that we're sharing with our members about building decarbonization. Um, I visited Port of Ponderé, the, the furthest northeast port. They're putting cleaner burning, burning tier four diesel engines in mm -hmm. locomotives in order 
to reduce emissions in that community, 14,000. But their focus is towards decarbonization as opposed to community resiliency. Yeah. Oh. So I, I don't know of community resiliency programs that are at the same level, but I will um, take that for the record. And yeah, I'll I just wonder if that's you. something yeah. that the other ports, I mean, it's such a huge piece of what we and commissioners hear about from the public that write in. And I wonder, like, do they get concentrated inquiries from folks who are concerned about, you know, adverse impacts from port operations. Yeah, I, I'll just tell you the environmental health disparities map is newly uh, relevant to a lot of ports. There was at one point a discussion, especially for the hard to decarbonize sector funding that Pierce mentioned of ports would have to be within the environmental health disparities uh, area in order to qualify for funding. A lot of ports didn't, didn't you know, weren't, weren't actively following that EPA designation. And so I think the awareness is growing every day, for sure. And, and then you had mentioned that there were two ports that were interested in actually developing SAFs. Or do we have an active uh, conversation going with those ports at the Port of Seattle? They're, um, they've been pretty quiet so far because the okay. deals are, are nascent. So, like, I mean, I was even going to name one of the ports as I was going up to the dais to testify in support of the SAF bill. And then the aviation fuel developer said, just mention the county, not the port, right? So I think those conversations will and should develop. The, the good news is Stephanie, uh, mine on your staff, Leslie and Sarah Cox, that whole team are recognized by people I didn't even know knew them. I hear their names mentioned because they're, they're out there. So I, I think they'll be getting phone calls from folks who want to move their product. Well, I'll just say it's a breath of fresh air to have you back in here. We missed you, but apparently we didn't need to miss you that much, <laughs> especially since we know that you really just left because you like Ryan best and wanted to partner with him even closer. We, but we do spend a lot said, of time together, me and the commissioner. <laughs> that being said, um, you know, I really look forward to learning who your replacement will be and getting to make their acquaintance, partnering with them, and love the 306090 that um, staff has set out for them um, as we onboard them and get ready for an effective 2024 legislative session. Are there any other comments from other commissioners? Um, well then, with that being said, oh my goodness gracious, that concludes our business meeting agenda for the day. Um, are there any closing comments at this time or motions relating to committee referrals or commissioners? <laughs> Commissioner Calkins. I just want to invite everyone to tomorrow meetings, uh, a tomorrow morning's special meeting of the Northwest Seaport Alliance uh, regarding opportunities in the offshore wind supply chain for the West Coast. Uh, we've got a couple of expert panels, uh, local businesses and other stakeholders interested in the, uh, in the industry, and we're going to be meeting at the Fabulich Center in person. Um, and we are um, encouraging folks to stream if they can't make it in person, and then we will have the recording available for those who can't make it either way. Commissioner Muhammad. Well, just for closing comments, I just wanted to also uh, extend my thought and support for the family members who were, and employees who were affected by the recent collision accident. It's really good to hear that that four-year-old is in better condition right now, and so, um, our, you know, our just public safety is a top priority for us, and so that is something that's been on top of mind for me. I just wanted to say that. Um, and then the the last thing that I uh, just wanted to mention is just a huge shout out to interim deputy executive director <laughs> Stephanie Jones Stebbins. I don't think there's ever been in history a uh, a CEO or an executive director who is a woman at the Port of Seattle, and I hope to see that one day 
And um, yeah, you being in this role, even if for a short period of time, um, gives me a sense of hope around that. Thank you, Commissioner. As Commissioner Cho said earlier, the first, but definitely not the last. All right, and um, let's see. I wanted to put in a plug also for the NWSA uh, forum on um, on wind in Washington State, as well as a potential to plug into the supply chain on offshore wind um, that's going to be taking place tomorrow in Tacoma in person. I also wanted to mention that Commissioner Fellman and myself will be providing public testimony at the city uh, tomorrow in support of the mayor's um, plan for um, to uh, to preserve uh, the historically industrial spaces in Soto. Uh, there was a little bit of a talk about whether or not there might be some adjustment to that plan that we have worked on for the last two years in collaboration uh, with the mayor. We, we love the plan and um, hope that the city of Seattle will pass it as is. And so I look forward to providing public testimony tomorrow. I also look forward tomorrow to our anti-blackness in the Asian community um, uh, forum that we're going to be hosting here at the Port of Seattle. And um, and I also wanted to mention that uh, I missed the first meeting of the month because I was on an excursion to Scotland and Denmark on um, offshore wind along with port staff, uh, uh, members of the business community, uh, representatives from the governor's office, as well as um, labor who were there um, and that was an incredibly informative tour where I was able to do a lot of learning and um, and just really appreciate the leadership that the Port of Seattle and Commissioner Calkins have shown to be able to raise our collective consciousness around this emerging and mature economy um, that is assuredly coming to uh, Washington State or, I'm sorry well to the West Coast and the potential for Washington State to be able to capitalize on that um, I also wanted to recognize interim deputy executive director Stephanie Jones Stebbins and acknowledge how significant it is that you're in this leadership role. Uh, you go girl. <laughs> and um, and I think that that concludes my remarks for today. So thank you so much hearing no further comments and having no further business. If there's no objection, then we are adjourned and the time is 2.13 p.m.